0: Thanks for being here. Let's begin. Modern technology has brought us many wonderful things that we can't imagine living without. Where would we be without affordable, high-quality video tools? Coupled with social media, it has never been easier to get in front of an audience. However, law firm ads aren't always the most exciting videos on the internet. Thankfully, my guest today has built a career on fixing that very problem.
1: I think the first thing that comes to mind when you mention legal video is when someone sees like a legal ad of somebody standing on top of a semi truck and screaming, they can be a bit outlandish at times, or it's one of those like mesothelioma type commercials where it's all text, it's like, if you've been injured. And our videos, the best way I could describe it, would be almost like movie trailers. All of our content is heavily story-focused. So we're always looking to connect emotionally, to engage people, also to build authenticity and trust around our attorneys. Traditionally, there's not that much trust in the legal space or from consumers towards attorneys. And much of that has probably been perpetuated by uh, a lot of bad actors. So we like to really, you know, give our attorneys a clear differentiator. And one of the ways to do that is like, not only are the videos high quality, but I don't know that's the biggest factor. I think more than anything, it drives emotion and emotion drives action.
0: On today's show, I'll be talking with Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video Group. Michael has helped countless firms achieve growth and meet their goals through video marketing, brand development, and leadership coaching. Join us today as we talk about how to use video marketing, why it's important to invest in your brand, what you can achieve through setting big goals, and much more. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Streyer, Stay with us. Chris Video Group has been going since 2012, and the company has been recognized by Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies every year since 2017. This is in thanks in part to the expertise Michael provides in producing excellent video content. With his knowledge and experience, I wanted to know how law firms could best utilize their videos once they had been produced.
1: There's obviously a lot of ways in which you can get the most out of your videos. I take it that when law firm owners are investing in any marketing, particularly, you know, let's say video, it's not just to have a nice video to play at cocktail parties. It's really with the goal of we want to drive new business. We want to attract more discerning clients and better clients in cases, you know, those types of things. So it really comes down to on the simplest way of putting it is, is, getting your content out to the people, your ideal clients and where they spend their time. So of course, your website, without a doubt, if that's home base, then you probably wanna put the video up on the site, but then also considering other platforms like YouTube and Facebook and social media. Um, we have many clients that run our videos as TV commercials. You know, We'll do shorter cuts and that still works well too. But I think the way to get the most reach right now with video to be able to reach the most people for the lowest cost, Is probably by far social media. I mean, when you think about how we're consuming content and the amount of videos that you're now watching on a Facebook feed or even on YouTube or or even LinkedIn and Instagram is tremendous. And the fact of the matter is like the cost of that compared to other things that you can do, like compared to a TV commercial, for example, your cost to get a thousand people to see your video on a platform like Facebook is still like tiny. I mean, we're talking like one cent per view, so that's always been something that we've pushed heavily because so much of like video is also in terms of like remaining top of mind and building a brand and getting people to remember you a lot of attorney marketing if let's say you're a personal injury lawyer most of the time that people see your content they don't need you yet they haven't been injured yet there's just not that need so you have to consider that you're not that necessarily relevant to them at that point now the day that they are injured you're extremely relevant but there's a very, very, very small percentage of people that need you on any given day. Like meaning that if you're looking at like Google pay-per-click, someone's typing in a specific keyword, they're looking for an injury attorney, that person needs that lawyer today. However, there's also a much larger base of people, millions and mi- millions, like 97% that are consuming content and will need an attorney at a point in their life, whether it's next week or next year or five years from now. And if they remember you, when they're in that accident, who, they're generally going to call the person they remember.
0: Yeah, totally. And, you know, you've heard the saying that that 50% of your marketing is working, you just don't know which half and, you know, it's frustrating because a lot of businesses only look at the bottom of the funnel, and they try to to relate something to just a specific action and cost per acquisition. You know, what I'm hearing is like investing in the brand, would you say that's that's kind of fair?
1: so we could do an entire podcast on this topic because this is something that i'm especially passionate about i mean literally you look at our business and and how we grew and we grew over a thousand percent in the last three years and you're like well how did you guys do that and so much of that was once we started heavily investing in the brand like brand drivers like the book the conference the ambassador programs all these different things the amount we were investing on social and those are things that in the short term we didn't really see a, a huge response from it wasn't like we launched an ad and then we started getting phone calls or leads or anything like that but over the Long term built up so much credibility so much trust and that was like the most impactful stuff you could have done and the reason why brand is so important is for a lot of short-term drivers and I, and I do believe those are important too I'm not saying don't do the, the stuff that you know is direct response or gets the phone to ring today it's just that if you are heavily reliant on that and that's the only thing that you were doing what happens when the PPC costs continue to rise as they are, and it, you know, the cost of acquisition becomes too high. Like, it doesn't make sense anymore. At that point, let's say you shut them off, you vanish from the face of the internet. If that's the only way that people are finding you. And because of that, when you build a brand, you build a lot of brand equity. That's how you build that brand trust. That's how you build that credibility. I do believe that law firms have a brand, whether they like it or not. It's either you know, by default or by design right so like the brand there's something there it may not be a positive association but there is some sort of association and when you look at the most dominant firms across the entire nation you look at the market leaders in every single market those firms also have the strongest brands like it's not just coincidence also when you look at this stuff it's like the ones that have been heavily brand focused and building that brand trust now it used to be really expensive you have to do like tons of tv and billboards and radio so that was that kept a lot of people unless you were the top market leader Even getting into those mediums was very, very expensive. They were already heavily saturated. But now when you've got the internet and social, now you can see like small and mid-sized firms build much larger brands over time because they're putting out great content, great marketing. They're getting it in front of the right audiences. I mean, I really do think that is the single biggest factor in attracting the best clients in cases. You want trucking cases? You got to become the trucking lawyer, right? And the only way that you do that is to brand yourself as such and be remembered as such. So this is one of those things that if people have one takeaway from all of this is that investing heavily in the brand, doing the things when you're playing the long game are reaping the highest rewards and are ultimately driving the highest returns for the fastest growing firms that we work with. In working with a thousand law firms in every market of every practice area, big and small, we see clear trends like success leaves clues. And the ones that are heavily investing in their brand and in their brand marketing are the ones that are getting the best clients getting the best cases have the greatest credibility, have the greatest trust. When you're the best kept secret, people can't hire you.
0: Right, I love that. I mean, you're just you're talking about building an asset and you know, I've heard you speak at the game changer summit, you talked about, you know, attention and awareness and that's how people find you. That's how they know you, that's how they like you, that's how they trust you. And Gary V was talking about traffic arbitrage and talking about Facebook, talking about LinkedIn and multi-channel approach, but you know, it's all essentially building the brand. You know, but when you look at your Social Stack service, you know, getting granular, getting, getting to the numbers, what do you see driving the most awareness for the lowest cost? You know, it is traffic arbitrage.
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of things and, and this to give people who are listening clarity Social Stack. so we offer like a multi-channel social marketing campaign where we like basically distribute the content that we create for a law firm on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram and just hit them at a, almost like an unreasonable frequency where your audience is seeing your content nonstop. And I guess the biggest drivers that we see, I mean, if you look at probably the best platforms out of all the platforms, Facebook's still the best. I think Facebook's still the best for video YouTube. There are certain versions, like there's like six second YouTube bumper ads, the videos that play before video starts, almost like the ad that's unskippable. Those are so low cost that you can get a very high frequency on them right now. Now that said, it's, unlikely that someone's going to be you know, wanting to watch the new Fast and the Furious trailer. It's unlikely they're going to stop everything, call you, book a consult, become a client, you know, and you've got you know, a traumatic brain injury case. It's possible, but probably unlikely. Now, you say that and you say, okay, well, why would I do six-second YouTube bumper ads? Well, because you can display your content 100,000 times every hour, and they don't have to convert on the YouTube ad. One of the biggest things we see is that you actually see very, very few conversions directly from social media, So from Facebook or from YouTube or from whatever, like somebody sees your ad, clicks your ad, becomes a client, but then we see an actual high uplift in branded search. So meaning that they saw this stuff, but then they Googled your firm name and then they knew to reach out to you. But then, you know, if you're like looking at this and you're tracking, you're like, well, how do they hear about us? You know, in your attribution, whether your intake staff is doing it, whether you use intake software, it'll probably say Google search, but they had to find out about your your law from somewhere.
0: We spoke a lot about videos and brand investment but they're just two of a few areas that Michael and Chris Video Group really specialize in. Another big part of Michael's business and indeed something he personally believes in is the importance of setting goals. But where some coaches might tell you to set small, manageable targets, Michael seems to follow a philosophy that's more akin to the world of extreme sports. Go big or
1: go home. So when it comes to goal setting, we've become known for either being, it's probably a mix between insane and I don't know, maybe there's some sort of like brilliance in that, but like we're setting these huge targets year over year. And it's like 200% year over year for the last eight years. And when you start to double bigger numbers, those become monumental goals. Like to, to host a thousand person legal conference, that's a big goal. I guess my process with that is always in the sense that if it doesn't change your life, then why would you do it? meaning that if you set an incremental goal, let's say it's five or 10% growth, if that's not exciting enough to you, meaning that nothing changes, you just do a little better, then what would be the reason behind simply doing it? Like, I actually think you're more likely to achieve a big goal that is life-changing and transformational than a small goal that makes no impact because you're simply not excited about it. So I do think you have to be excited about your goals and they have to be purposeful. So it's not just like, let's pick a big number for the sake of it. It's something where you look at what kind of impact can we make and not just in our communities and with our clients, but what about for our teams, for our families, you know, for ourselves, That to me is really exciting. And then it's really looking at it from the standpoint that if you already know how to get there, it's not a big enough goal. Like this goal should have unknowns, like meaning that you set a target and you're like, I have no idea how we're going to do it. Like you're going to have to innovate in some way. You're going to have to figure things out. It can't simply be, we're just going to work harder. That would be like a 5% goal. And I also think that if you already know how to get there at the time of setting your goal, that's really a task. I don't know that's a goal. That's generally my thought process, but what I can say is like, oftentimes when we start these things, we generally have no idea how we're going to achieve a goal like that. You know, in the case of the conference, we'd never hosted an event before, and it, it was really one of those things where we, like, picked a date and started selling tickets. And At that point, all these things have to come together. Like, we, you know, we hired an events manager and logistics manager because we didn't know anything about event logistics, but this person had a tremendous amount of experience that could really support us there also in creating the content and actually marketing the event, you know, those types of things cause you to almost increase your capabilities and problem solve and innovate and grow that by the time you get there and you actually pull it off, you know, the benefit of all this is you gain the confidence to set bigger goals. But if you rob yourself of that type of opportunity simply by saying, well, I don't know how to get there yet. I've found with large goals, there's never a right time for them. And generally there's always going to be some sort of information or capability that you don't have at the time of setting that goal.
0: In a world of caution and risk management, Michael's ideas on setting goals were refreshing. And with his encouraging personality and infectious enthusiasm, I'm sure anyone who takes him on as a leadership coach would smash their targets. But one of the consequences of reaching your goals is growth. And growth is great, but to grow, you need to accommodate for the extra work and clients you take on. This leads us to another big challenge law firms face, hiring. So I wanted to find out what advice Michael had for lawyers that needed to scale up and bring in new staff.
1: So there's a great book out there. I I think this has probably been one of the best things that we ever did and we ever learned as a company. The book is called No Ego by Cy Wakeman. She is somebody who's not only a leadership expert, but also an expert in workplace drama, because there's a lot of, so the challenge around HR is that there's a lot of studies out there that are based on like workplace happiness and like workplace engagement. And unfortunately, a lot of those studies are based on interviewing people and employees at organizations based on what would make you happy if that was in place. But it's not actually based upon, like, what did make them happy. It's what they believed would would make them happy. So it's like a flawed study, right? You really have to look at, like, the actual outcomes versus looking at what someone would say would bring them happiness and enjoyment. Because I found that you generally cannot buy someone's love. So HR and people are very complicated just in nature, but it really comes down to, I think the biggest factor comes down to just the standards that you set. So meaning that this goes like both ways. If you see something in your organization that's below standard and do nothing, that becomes the new standard. And if you see anything that's off culture and do nothing, then that becomes the new culture. So I feel like as, as leaders, oftentimes, if there's a cultural issue or a team issue, it's because we've enabled it. So like meaning that that has become acceptable in the organization. So meaning like, why are all my people showing up late? Maybe it's, there's no downside to them showing up late. They can still exist there month over month, year over year. And it's making those tough decisions and having those difficult conversations. The other thing is just having clear alignment. You know, the biggest thing that I realized years ago with culture was that many organizations are trying to get best places to work and we got it. You know? But what I realized over time was that if you are trying to be the best place to work for all of America, well, you're gonna be a very mediocre company. You're gonna be probably a very low output, mediocre organization. However, if you're instead focusing on being the best place to work for high accountable people that align with your values, that essentially are a good fit for your work style, how you guys do things. Let's say you're at the top of your game in world class. It takes workaholics that don't see their families for weeks at a time. But if you attract people like that, it's going to be the best place to work for them. It may not be for somebody else, but that's how you can ensure value alignment. So we're not necessarily here to change people or to change someone's lifelong values, but it's ensuring that the people that we're hiring align with our organizational values for it to be the best place to work for them.
0: Yeah, I love that. And even, you know, your company changes so much too, so you know, you couldn't put a catcher in center field, right? So they may be the best the right person at one point in time, but they may not be in the future. So you know, one of the challenges that we've had personally, I know other attorneys face too, is forecasting though, right? Because it can be a big cost, right? If you over hire, you know, are there any, are there any leading indicators or anything that you look, you're looking at to try to gauge that growth?
1: It's a good question you ask. I would say that how I've approached it now is that the right person, that A player, that all-star, that, you know, that person you would find, One, I don't think you can ever overpay for them because there's never, if you look back at your best team members ever in the history of your organization and you look at the absolute best one, would you ever feel that you would ever overpay for that person? Probably not. Like, so they're worth it, number one. But two, when they're like that good, it's always, in in my experience, it's been worth it bringing them on board because you can always find, you know, what you can do and where you can place a really great person. Um, Many businesses struggle actually on the opposite side of like not being able to scale up capacity fast enough because they're gonna wait until, let's say, until we get more business, until we get more cases or whatever it might be. But the challenge is that when that happens, because marketing will typically outpace hiring, now you're looking for somebody, and let's say it takes you, I don't know, a month or two to find them. Then you hire them, but they got to put in a two-week notice where they were at. Then you got to train them, which takes another two to three months. So you're looking at like three to four months sometimes to ramp up somebody from like the time you decide to hire to the time that they actually get in place and they're operating at their capacity. Um, So that's a very long runway. So when looking at forecasting, it's you've got to have confidence in, you know, when you're investing in your marketing, you have confidence in the future, essentially is what it is. Do you believe that you're going to get to where you're going? Do you believe you're going to achieve those targets? If you're doubtful from the onset, I would say solve that problem first, Like right? if, if you set goals that you don't think you're going to achieve, I would argue maybe you know, look at your commitment and perhaps you've set the wrong goals because this is going be something where you're like, we're gonna do it. And you're so committed to it that you're going to invest in hiring people, investing in your marketing, investing in your infrastructure, whatever it might be. So my answer to this coming full circle is having too many great people is a wonderful problem to have.
0: Yeah, and when you overhire too, it gives you a little extra motivation to hit that big Yeah, hole. If you build it, they will come. So you mentioned Psy, and uh, you know, what are some other of your favorite business books or uh, conferences maybe that you can recommend?
1: Yeah, I mean in terms of like business books, there's like Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willick. I think that's a great business book. You know, there's several like when you look at like burn Harnish and Scaling Up and the Rockefeller Habits, those are excellent books as well. Um, as I think about conferences. Uh, I think Traffic and Conversion is a great conference uh, from Digital Marketer. That's been one that we've attended in, in uh, recent years. Drift has a conference called Hypergrowth. I think that's a great one too. There's another one that's that we never get to attend because we're behind the scenes, but the Game Changer Summit, which is kind of ironic because we wanted to create the type of conference that we'd want to attend and ironically, we never get to attend it. What other questions and stories have we not talked about Do you think it'd be important? something that's always fascinated me has been about like, why do let's say the most successful law firms in America or business owners, let's say, why are they succeeding? Whereas some people may not be as successful. And like, what are the differentiators between that? And not only is it their mindset, I mean, it's always, it's always mindset, right? But it's also in the way in which they make decisions. So meaning that, are you looking at from the standpoint of I'm going to invest in something, but how do I invest the least and make the most? I think that is a very selfish mindset. Like when I see people doing that kind of stuff, I think, okay, so you're looking at how do you give the least amount of value to get a desired outcome and a desired result so you can extract the most profit and again, if you do that, that's, it's all about you. It's not about your, your team or your clients and anything like that. Whereas if you flip that and say, well, how do we go out there and just create the most value? So like without even considering oftentimes like, well, but I want to make sure I get every dollar, every penny out of this. Right. So there's, there's investments that we make, for example, where we decide let's say at the conference, we're going to serve like warm lunch and, uh, and breakfast. What would it be if we took away the breakfast? Like, yeah, okay. I, I can't quantify that. Well, let's say we get rid of the, uh, the, you know, the open bar that we always do on, on the, the Friday, evening we we probably save like a quarter of a million dollars at this point but like and I don't know the ROI of the open bar I don't but it's a good experience for our attendees so we, we always look at that and say okay well that's probably the right thing to do and when you have this type of mindset and the standpoint of like how do we invest and deliver the most value from our clients it always comes back like I find like when you are investing like in your business and when you are investing in other companies and other you know vendors you know in your team it always comes back to you but if you're one of those people that's trying to hold on to their pennies that's saying like look I just want the guarantees. Like, Chris, can you just do the thing that you can guarantee will get me all the trucking cases and those people are never successful in the long term. And it's not because you're just cheap, but it's also because you are looking at it from the standpoint that like you wanna control everything and you wanna be able to have guarantees around things, but is your mindset about how do I make the most money or more about how do I make the greatest impact and provide the most value? Because when it's the latter, that's when you actually do see that return. And then from my experience, that's what it's been. Um, The biggest thing I think that stops people is just that, you know, sometimes there's unknowns around like, well, what's my ROI going to be? But the best things require like playing the long game. So a lot of times you have to just have that confidence in not only like your team, because you're not going to invest any money if you don't have confidence in your team. Like, why would you want to drive more phone calls and more business if you don't feel confident your intake team can answer the phones properly? So you got to have confidence there too. And the more confidence you have there, the more that you will invest. Um, But it's also from the standpoint of, let's say you do make all these investments, if you are leading with, okay, this is going to be beneficial for our clients. We're going to have a better experience at our office. When clients come in, we're going to make sure that that's world-class for them. That's what's going to drive that that client experience, referrals, all those different things that are the sources of the very best clients and cases. So those things have the highest ROI, but many firms are so reluctant to do it. Because it's not guaranteed a dollar and a dollar fifty back.
0: Michael truly is an expert in law firm growth. His principles of value, ambition, over caution, and dreaming big will definitely resonate with a lot of law firm owners out there. If you want to expand your practice and find out how to navigate the world of legal marketing, check out Chris Video Group at crispvideo.com or listen to his podcast, The Game Changing Attorney. You've been listening to the Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Stryer. A huge thank you to today's guest, Michael Mogul, for joining us. You can find all of the links from today's conversation in the show notes. And we want to hear from you. Do you use video to help market your law firm? And what are some big goals you've set yourself up for this year? Drop us a review and let us know and share your thoughts. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.